Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. So, friends, the best laid plans. That's what we're calling this one, the best laid plan. I had this rewebinar series scheduled, and it was, in fact, pretty girthy. I had several free webinars scheduled. And last week, this one came up on the schedule, Why Does the Science of Reading Work?, and the time period that I had allotted to record it was the exact time period, excuse me, not even to record it, but to present it live, was the exact time period that the worker man was coming to install a door in my home office. And this is a door I've been waiting for since, I don't know, February. So we had to cancel the free webinar because Oh, and also my neighbors in the backyard, I was like, that's okay, I'll just go to the backyard. And my neighbors were having a party. And so it was like, I can't go anywhere. So we are working on an alternative to the alternative of the backyard if that ever happens again. There's a little coffee shop up in my town that I think I can rent a space in. I just have to figure out the logistics of that so that we can plan, make a plan C if it ever happens again. So Sorry about canceling that free webinar. We're going to do the same thing here that we have done, that we did a couple of weeks ago. That webinar was was going to talk about why the science of reading works. And this is really like, honestly, the answers to a journey that I took. And I'm going to walk you through that journey here in a second. But I did want to tell you that registration is, in fact, open for the ABC Tutoring and Coaching Center. And we'll probably reference the Tutoring and Coaching Center or tutoring in this podcast episode quite a bit because what I started having happen in meetings over the last five or six years was that students were not getting access to reading. And it was like this chicken and egg situation. And I just kept thinking, if I could teach this kid how to read, then I could go back and I could show it to him. I could show them how to teach this child how to read. And so that's ultimately what led me to getting certified in Norton Gillingham and to figuring out the answer to this question, why does the science of reading work? So if you feel like your child is not making progress in school or your child needs extra help, extra care with academics, behavior, social, emotional functioning, those areas of development, or if you feel like you would benefit from some coaching on behavior or even coping with all of the stresses that your family experiences, check out the Tutoring and Coaching Center. It's on my website, Ashley Barlow Co. Lake Company. Dot com and we would love to have you. Okay, so again, it's May. We're going to go through these slides at rapid pace because I want for you to have time to do all of the things in May. My integrative doctor the other day accidentally, she was like not intending to make this pun, but she said mayhem. How are you doing in the mayhem of the end of the school year? And I was like, 
oh my gosh, mayhem. That is amazing. You just made a meme and she wasn't even trying to do it. So I want to go quickly. It might help you to listen to today's episode on YouTube because the slides are going to accompany what I'm talking about, but I'll try to read a big a big portion of them actually verbatim for those of you that are just listening. Okay, so why does the science of reading work? What was happening was that I was noticing trends. I go to tens of IEP meetings a year, maybe even up to to close to 100. I don't think I've hit 100 per year ever. I go to several lots of IEP meetings a year, and I started to notice that reading was getting in the way of inclusion. But then at the same time, schools weren't teaching reading. So it became this kind of chicken and egg situation where schools were saying, gosh, he can't keep up in the third grade because he can't read. But then at the same time, we switched him over to this functional reading program. Worst case scenario, they've switched the child over to something like Edmark, which is like just teaching signs like restroom and exit and those kinds of words. But even a, a balanced literacy program, they were teaching the child how to read. And I'm like, well, of course, it's your fault that they can't read. Um, and then another thing that happened was that schools were saying, oh, we're doing science of reading. We are. Yep, we teach phonics. So they were alleging that they were teaching based on the science of reading, but students were not making progress. So I was like, what is the science of reading thing? What are you saying that you're doing? And if the research says, you know, if this is science, if the science says that it should work, then why is it not working? You must be doing something wrong. And this does not take higher level thinking. I was just like, that doesn't make sense, though, because everything I've read about this says that it should work. The third thing that I was noticing was that I would say, what's that mean? Like, how does science of reading work? And schools literally could not articulate how science of reading was implemented with their students. So essentially what it came down to is they were like mixing and matching from programs. And some of the programs, by the way, were developed by their districts. It was like one time I said to somebody, so what do you use to teach reading? Like, how are you teaching reading? And she just looked at me and she said, science of reading. And I was like, okay, okay. What's that mean? Are you using a particular curriculum? Are you like pulling from a binder of some sort or a book? Or do you get your teaching masters someplace? And she said, I give whatever I teach from whatever the district gives me. And then after like a, a few questions, I realized that literally she was just like pulling different worksheets at different times with no scope and sequence, no uniformity between them, no explicit instruction. And that's part of the secret to why it works, by the way. So the fourth thing that I was noticing was that kids were struggling more and more, especially in grades four plus, like over the age of third or fourth grade. And the real reason that I was that that this became so evident was that those students are no longer necessarily learning how to read. They are reading to learn. And when it becomes that you're reading to learn, in other words, read chapter one of the science textbook and then answer the questions at the end, it's way harder to fake it. So what was happening was there was far less reading instruction. How do you read a word? How do you break a word into its parts? How do you look at the different syllables of a word and determine what they mean? 
And we were now actually having to read in order to do science, social studies, even math. And it became way harder for the struggling readers to fake it. And then the last trend that I noticed was that, like, seriously, nobody knew how to teach a kid how to read. They also did not know how their actual readers were learning to read. I would say, like, how? So the kids that are reading really well, why? And they would just look at me. And I'm like, what, what did you do for them that worked? And they really did not know. They didn't know how their kids were learning how to read. It was like crazy town and it stays crazy town. So I don't like it when things don't make sense. Like we should learn how to read. And research says that 70% of people learn how to read with kind of that tier one whole group instruction. 30% of readers struggle to read, but nearly all of them can learn how to read. So I'm like, that this, like these five trends do not jive with what I know the research says. So I don't like to be confused at the heading of this slide. And I don't like for things to just not match up. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a a mathematician. I don't necessarily need things to, to be super black and white, but like it just wasn't making sense to me and I don't like to be confused. So what did I start to do? Ironically, hilariously, I started to read. I got my hands on so many books about science of reading. I started reading podcast or listening to podcasts, reading different blog articles, reading as much as I could about reading and how to teach reading. So I, my two questions were, how do you teach a kid to read? And then more specifically, how do you teach a kid with an intellectual developmental disability how to read? Because I live with one of those and I you know I'm constantly thinking about that. And as a subcategory to that, it would certainly be, how do you teach a struggling reader how to read a student with dyslexia, a student with any kind of struggle? So the answer was extremely clear three books, the first three books I read lined this up for me. And I was like, huh? Uh-huh. Yep. This is it. So it's a multi-sensory, explicit, evidence-based, systematic program that is founded in the science of reading. Now we've talked about the science of reading here. I'm not going to belabor the science of reading, but here's the problem. What does that mean? Because remember on the last slide, we learned that everybody was like, yeah, that's what we do. We use the science of reading. We use Orton-Gillingham. We use multi-sensory evidence-based systematic programming. And I'm like, but that's not what's happening. So then the new question became, what's the science of reading? If you say you're using it and the kids aren't making progress, then what's that mean? So again, slide from a presentation a couple of weeks ago, a webinar that then turned into a podcast. The science of reading is a multidisciplinary field that explores how humans acquire, process, and comprehend written language. And it involves the cognitive processes that we need to read. And we have these different components to the science of reading. So they are like, yeah, we use what the science says about reading. So <laughs> the titles of this next slide is, if you give an attorney a half of an answer, if you give a mouse a muffin or give a mouse a cookie. I'm like, I don't understand because that doesn't line up. It's not if A then B, if B then C. So A equals C. I'm like, but they aren't learning how to read. So how do you implement the principles of the science of reading into classroom instruction, specially designed instruction and outside tutoring? 
how do you do that? And then like the subsection to me is, has Jack been getting this? Because the more and more I read about this, the more and more I'm like, that does not look like what Jack is bringing home. And I've never heard them talk about how Jack does and the different principles of the science of reading. So what did I do? Of course, I talked to parents and I talked to teachers and I talked to students and I read and I read and I went and observed kids. And I was still like incredibly confused because I'm like, what I am reading in these books does not match up with what I know is happening in schools. I was very firm that the Orton-Gillingham approach to teaching reading was in fact compliant with the principles of the science of reading, addressed all of the principles, was explicit enough that it should work. And that, and then I was also absolutely convinced that very few kids were getting this kind of explicit instruction in school. So that kind of led me to taking the training that I took in Art and Gillingham. I am now a trained Art and Gillingham teacher. So I did mine with the Institute of Multisensory Education, which is it, the acronym there is MZ, not sponsored by them, but I really enjoyed it. And it like totally opened my mind to, holy cow. This is the answer. This is why it's not happening in schools. Okay, so here's what I learned. Number one, nobody was doing Orton Gillingham right. And then parenthetically, okay, so not nobody, but barely anybody was doing Orton Gillingham right. And like literally I had not ever seen it done well. And two kids in outside tutoring, I've seen it done really well. So Orton Gillingham like science is scientific, but it's also like totally not rocket science. Orton Gillingham is easy to implement, probably easier if you just do it by the book. And so what happens is the principles of the science of reading are, in fact, what make it work. And so therefore, you have to utilize the principles of the science of reading. You have to teach those various principles. So what do we mean when we talk about the principles of the science of reading? What I'm saying is that the primary concepts have stayed the same the, of the principles of the science of reading. Of course, our thoughts have evolved, but go back to those three examples that we talked about a few episodes ago. The simple view of reading, where we just look at decoding and language comprehension, and that equals reading comprehension. And when we look at decoding, we're talking about phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, and then language comprehension also involves a good base of vocabulary and text comprehension. Then we can talk about Scarborough's rope, where we also add in background knowledge, language structures, verbal reasoning, literary knowledge, sight word recognition. So we're adding a little bit in, and then we add on the kind of more current thought about reading, where we have to have self-regulation in order to then work on these various skills. And we also start to think about cultural background, cultural knowledge, verbal reasoning skills, theory of mind, so these other aspects. But at the end of the day, the components to the science of reading largely have to have the same components. So we'll start with phonological awareness. Phonological awareness, again, like this is going back a little bit, is like the ability to manipulate language, to play with language. So if we can play with words and word parts, the rules of decoding and encoding, spelling and reading, we can manipulate the words. And if we can manipulate words, then guess what? Aha, we can read the words. So here's the key. 
phonological awareness has to be taught with regularity, like three to five times per week in order to reinforce these concepts. Always, always. We have to be working on rhyming, syllable awareness, phonemic awareness, those skills three to five times per week. Go home and ask your kids, when was the last time you worked on rhyming? When was the last time you broke a word into syllables? This should happen very regularly. I have never in my life had a client get this kind of explicit instruction. Then phonics. So phonics, the idea that we connect the sounds or the phonemes with the letter or groups of letters. So the graphemes, the way that we write it. And that was a representation between the sound, the oral language, and what is written in the written language. So phonics. All concepts of phonics, again, have to be taught with regularity three to five times a week in order to reinforce. So OG programming should involve phonics instruction three to five times per week. And I also have never had a client get this kind of explicit, repetitive, multisensory instruction. Fluency. Okay, you guessed it. Fluency is speed, accuracy, and expression. So fluency, you guessed it. We have never had a child get fluency practice three to five times a week in the same systematic, explicit way. Fluency has to be practiced. When the science of reading is done, this is done with decodable books. And the decodable books only work on the skills that are being taught that week. And then also, of course, have the skills from the prior lessons as well so that you can actually read them. So the books involve the skills that are currently been taught and the skills that have been mastered. There is no guessing. This is why decodable books are so important. And I don't have any students that are only learning in decodable books with skills that they're currently targeting and skills that have been mastered. And then, of course, there's all these other concepts of the science of reading vocabulary, word recognition, semantics, self-regulation. Again, all of these things have to be taught and utilized with regularity and using explicit system. So we know what has to happen. What is happening? What does OG look like in practice? How do we do OG? So OG has to be multisensory. Orton Gillingham instruction has to address oral, auditory, and kinesthetic senses. I'm going to stop right there because I will tell you that is one of the first things that I would ask. Like before I started reading, I would say, what's that mean? I know it's multisensory. What's that mean? So many teachers can't explain to you. It's so easy. Oral, we have to say stuff. Auditory, we have to hear stuff. And kinesthetic, we have to do and feel things. So easy. Like, but they couldn't explain what that meant. Now, I'm going to give you like the inside of an OG lesson here in a, in a second. Another thing about OG instruction is it has to be explicit. So what explicit means is that it is organized, scaffolded, sequential, and predictable. And so in order to work, I'm going to go back and explain to you what all those words mean here in a second. But in order to work, OG instruction has to be done with fidelity. And this fidelity is you have to follow the system. It has to be explicit. Now, let me tell you why it's explicit. OG instruction is, and I'm going to give you an example, but it's very organized. On Monday, you do this. On Tuesday, you do this. 
Here's how you teach vowels. Here's how you teach consonants. Here's how you teach a new word. Here's how you teach a red word or a sight word or a popcorn word. Here's how you do it. It also has to follow a sequence. And the reason it has to follow the sequence is because we are only working on skills that we've mastered and skills that we are currently working on. And we work on one new skill per week because it is organized and scaffolded, meaning it builds on itself and we can individualize it for the child. We can do extension activities. We can do break it down into more simple ideas. We can go at the student's pace and give the student what they need. Because it's organized and scaffolded and sequential, it then becomes predictable so that the students know, oh, yeah, now I'm going to get out my sand tray. Oh, yeah, now I'm going to have to read out loud. Oh, yeah, now we're going to learn the new concept. Oops, I need my bumpy board because I'm about to write on a bumpy board. And that's going to help me remember my red word. Now it's time to trace. They start to get it. And when they start to get it, their brains can turn off about the systems and they can absorb the information. So OG is, is systematic. It has to follow that scope and sequence. Again, that sequential scope and sequence. And it has to be delivered following systems that the students know and learn. Okay, so multisensory, explicit, systematic. What's it look like? So this is an example of a week of good Orton-Gillingham instruction that MZ has put out. This is MZ's thing. So you'll see on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you do a phonological awareness warm-up or activity. Every single day, there is phonological awareness. Then you'll see this three-part drill. So a three-part drill is the, it has auditory, it has Remember on our last on our last slide when we talked about what the three different components are, we have auditory, oral, and kinesthetic. We're we're touching all three of those different senses. So we're doing a three part drill to address those three things. Then we're teaching a new concept, and teaching the new concept involves a multi sensory experience, which is very specific and prescribed. Then even on Monday, you start with that decodable reader. Now look. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you have the decodable reader every single day of the week. Very explicit. You have to do that in order for it to work. Then you're working on language comprehension. Guess what? Look on down. Every single day of the week, you're working on language comprehension. And then you're also working on dictating a word or a sentence. So the students are working on now reading and writing at the same time. And reading and writing and speaking are built into this entire thing. So this is what you have to do every single day in order for OG to be taught with fidelity. There is, in fact, a three-day curriculum that is recommended for tutoring. That is what I will follow here at the Tutoring Center as the OG instructor for grades K through 2 at the Tutoring Center. Let's look a little bit deeper into these concepts. So the three-part drill. The three-part drill involves a visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and a blending activity. It also could involve a vowel intensive, which is a whole nother prescribed thing. There's how to teach a new concept. So when you teach a new concept, you teach it through a multi-sensory experience. And then when you apply it, you're either pounding and tapping the word, which is, again, a multi-sensory thing that is taught very explicitly. 
or you're even pounding syllables and pounding um, words and sentences. Then when we teach red words, those sight words, it's very specific. How you teach syllication, breaking words into syllables. Every single day in Orton Gillingham instruction, you are breaking words into syllables. And it's very specific. And then it even breaks down how you teach language comprehension. So it's very explicit, very systematic. And it has to be done this way in order to work. Here's another visual that talks about how syllabication works. You teach children the different syllable patterns. You teach them the different kinds of syllables, like open and closed syllables. That has to do basically with what happens to the noun. What happens with the silent E, which in MZ we call the magic E. What vowel teams are. How do vowel teams work when vowels are working together? Bossy R, which is if R is with a vowel, it can make the vowel say like a word, a weird letter or weird sound. So like fern, F-E-R-N, you don't say fern, it's fern, er, and you don't hear the E really. So that's R controlled. And then consonant L-E, so like scrabble, you swallow that, which is different. You don't say scrambler. And so you learn these different syllable types and then that helps you read and it also helps you write. Again, here is the prescription for how to learn a red word, a sight word. We say the word. Then we talk about how many sounds are in the word. And then we talk about how we would expect to spell the word. And we talk about the history of the word, the etymology of the word, so that we can really learn, like, why is this word said differently? And then we define the word. We use the word in a sentence. We write it on red word paper, which is just lined paper. And, and we do that with a red crayon with a bumpy thing underneath it, a screen underneath. And then we will like trace it. We'll tap it on our arm. We'll do all of these things in order to remember those red words. So again, if we go back a few slides and we say, what is Orton Gillingham? How does it work in practice? That these instructional practices are multi-sensory. We're working on oral, auditory, and kinesthetic things. It is explicit. It is scaffolded. It is sequential. It is predictable. The students know what to do. When you get to the phoneme graphing chart and you're saying, if you look at, I don't think you can see my cursor, and I know a lot of you are listening anyway, but maybe you'll get to the long O sound. You'll see on the phoneme graphing chart that there are five different ways to spell long O. And so first graders, you will say, five different ways to spell the sound. The sound is O. And the students on their little trays will say, O says O. And they will write an O. And then they will say, O magic E says O. And then they will say, O A says O. E says O. W says O. They will say that in order. They have memorized that. They have learned it. It is wrote to them and they can write it in sand. They can say it out loud. They're getting this multi-sensory experience so that then when they go to spell or read a word with one of these combinations, it is wrote to them. This absolutely works. It is so crazy. And friends, I'm just not seeing it done like this in schools all that often. Of course it's happening. 
I do follow all sorts of people that do this for tier one, two, and three instruction on Instagram. And I'm like, man, you need to get out there and convince other people that this works in practice. That was a little longer than I expected it to be, 29 minutes. I hope I didn't take up too much of your May, but I really do think this works. If you are interested in Orton Gillingham instruction, you are welcome to check out the tutoring center. We would love to have you. Our spots are, in fact, starting to fill up. It's pretty exciting stuff around here, but we still have plenty of space as well. And I will see you next week, same time, same place.